What's up, everybody? We're back at it again. We're missing our, our, our third amigo. Brian is uh, going to be joining us shortly. He is currently headed to the first ever Slurber drop in Canada. Um, so shout out to the homie over at, uh, what's the shop's name? Uptown Herb Waterloo. Uptown Herb Waterloo. Tom, Tom over there. Yeah, they're doing great things. Um, so we're stoked to tune in with Brian a little bit later. This is also the first official show where we've had a sponsor, Green Tech Environmental. So we're going to get into that a little bit more as well and talk about these incredible devices and how they benefit us and how they're going to benefit you too. Awesome. So today we have a super special guest, a good friend of ours, both of ours, um, Chaz Walters. Chaz has been, uh, Chaz is actually a U.S. transplant who just recently got up here. Um, to Canada, and he has a ton of experience from the California market as well as the Washington market. Um, and yeah, we're super excited to get into it with him. So we're going to bring him in shortly. And um, yeah, we're going to start the show off with a dab. RJ, what are you currently dabbing on? Um, I'm going to go in on some Mac Lime that I've been that I've been going in on for the past couple of weeks. It's delicious, and uh, yep, one of my favorites as of late. What about you? What are you going in on? I'm going to start the show off nice and light, nice and light. I'm going to go with some, uh, some dead hot strawberries from bloom cultivated by a good friend of ours, um, Canadian doubts. And, uh, awesome. it's some of some really impressive stuff, not super heavy, um, kind of like a strawberry soda, but, uh, you know, I know we're going to be getting into it this show. So steady things off light. So I'm also micro birder for the t-shirt. I absolutely love it. The only thing I flush is my toilet. <laughs> I got That's the Quest I'm dabbing on today. Quest dub disc made by Vancouver local Quest Glass. Guy kills it. Guy's been killing it for a long time. And uh, also from that from that same group of homies, Jameson just got a new piece that he's going to show off too. I did. I did. I, shout out Hetty Gallery and Rob Bigland. I just picked up this absolute beautiful little tube. I don't know if the light does it justice, but I... I you know, wasn't planning on grabbing anything, but, uh, I saw the same I had to have it. So shout out big Glenn, the work he does. And, uh, it's my first, but not last piece from him. And, and, uh, I'm really enjoying it. So shout out Heady gallery as well. One of the best headshots in Canada for sure. Yeah. Shout out Rob. I got a bunch of pieces from Rob. Rob's a great guy, great human being, great glass blower. So definitely uh, stoked to support the homies. Yeah. Also set up with the new temp tech. I'm really enjoying it. I like the, uh, the, the wider temperature, um, scale. I like that it, it measures my, you know, cold banger at 70. So I, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it and the, the, the alarms and yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Okay. So new sounds, new colors, and let's get into how it reads versus the dab, right? Because I'm curious about that. Uh, I just got the dab, right? Like two or three weeks ago. I'm a little late to the game, um, but I love it. And it's kind of, you know, so I, have three, I have three dab rights. Um, I'm okay. always, you know, I always bring whole views over and everybody else has to have their own station. I like to share my dab, right? Um, yeah. I find they read lower. So like, if I want to go in spicy at 580 on a dab, right, typically I can manage that. Whereas my experience with this one temp tech is that 580 is, is, is borderline, you know, too hot to dab. And, and so, um, I find with the day that I've had with it, I'm dabbing 
20 to 35 degrees colder um, than I, I do on the dab rate. So I, I'll, you know, fi- a 550 turns to a 525. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll encounter more and, and kind of see where it goes. And maybe it's just this one. I know, you know, with the dab rights, you kind of got to learn, learn the unit, but, uh, but yeah, I, I've got no complaints. Like I'm always trying to glean more info from, you know, the temperatures we're, we're going in at and, you know, we get into, you know, different quartz and, and different styles of bangers, need different heats uh, also with different, you know, uh, different concentrates, whether that be even just within rosin and, and the, and the variation within that, or, or, you know, we, you know, dabbing BHO, you're dabbing that a lot harder than you're dabbing melt. So mm-hmm. you know, if you dab those two things at the same temperature, you're going to have a bad time both or one dependent on or temperature. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super stoked. And so like you said, talk to Charles. Like, I mean, I think that guy's been in the game and making hash and, and, and steam it all. And, you know, he's been through a full legalization life cycle and, you know, for him relocating up to Canada, I think that's, uh, you know, a huge undertaking and, and super excited to see what he's, there he is. What's going on, Chaz? What up, Chaz? What's going on, everybody? Not much, man. We're just kicking off the show. We were just talking about you. Where are you at right now? I'm in my truck, uh, up at Whistler. Go back and forth between Whistler and Vancouver. Right now I keep a travel trailer up here for, uh, for the winter season, my wife and I do. So um, be up in the snow. Uh, it's currently raining and, and, uh, just, just slightly stopped, just, just barely sort of rain slush. Were you on the hill yesterday? Yep. Yep. It's been, uh, it's been, it's just been snowing and snowing. It's warmed up initial atmospheric river. And how were the conditions on the hill? Was it wet? Uh, it definitely was wet and has been, um, heavy. My legs were <laughs> needed some, uh, needed to work out more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Those first days back on the hill. You know, it was good. Um, snowboarding was, uh, one of the reasons why I got into cannabis. Um, you know, it's been one of my passions, uh, for my whole life and, you know, uh, I just saw it as an opportunity to be able to try to live a lifestyle, um, and be able to snowboard every day. And then take us, take us back. Like, I mean, like, you know, we want to have like a casual conversation, but at first we want to kind of lay the groundwork for the people that don't know you who are listening in, like, um, take us back to, you know, from the beginning, from the beginning, man, where you came up, what your influences are. Like, I want to go into snowboarding. I want to go into fishing. Like we got. This is long form, bro. So, you know, there's like three or four things, um, that have sort of dictated my life and, um, that has been snowboarding, fishing, by the mountains um, and just traveling. Um, those are sort of the reasons why I, uh, I do what I do, um, to go way back, how it all started was, um, my parents uh, got a place up in uh, up here in BC. I'm originally from the states, from Washington, um, and my parents would sail up to this little island called Laskiti Island um, in the '70s and '80s, and uh, it's this sort of whimsical, 
island. Uh, it's completely off the grid, no power, no water. Um, you, you have to collect your own rainwater or have a well, uh, solar panels or, or wind turbines. And uh, that island is similar to what like Humboldt County would be back in the day uh, or Mendo or similar to like what Nelson is now for cannabis. Um, where that island in and of itself had a lot of draft dodgers, hippies that came up in the um, in the 60s, 70s to get back to the land and, you know, to get away from the draft. And uh, it, with that sort of back to the lander movement came cannabis, similar to what we saw in, in Humboldt County happen. And uh, it used to be one of the, uh, the hot spots for um, cannabis cultivation in, in British Columbia for outdoor cultivation. And then in the late nineties is when um, indoor cultivation started to happen out there with big generator um, scenes. Uh, you know, and the island's pretty small. It's like 500 people year round. So it's. So was that a family? Like, was that a family island with a cabin where your parents, like, were they involved in the fishing industry? Like, so no, they, my parents just would sail up there for fun and love the area so much and the people that live there um, that we um, bought a place up there and have had it since 92. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've lived up there a couple of different times on and off. And uh, I met this girl um, that's a local born and raised on the island. And, uh, and she was running a maybe like a 40 light generator show. You know, this is in 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, and I had grown cannabis a couple times by, by then. Um, but I just watched her basically through one whole cycle and then it just clicked for me of what I could do back down on the States. How was she growing? Uh, she was growing in like, uh, in with pro mix, um, you know, uh, sunshine mix number four. It's basic, like basic. blended high pressure oh. sodium hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Straight up and down. Yeah. Uh, no, not up and down. They were like the bat wing ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, she was a great cultivator. I learned a lot from her. Um, she also was pulling off light up, you know, they called them black boxes back then. But um, that's where I saw my first, uh, you know, light up going down. That was also a, a game changer for me. That, you know, the big limiter of, of growing cannabis outdoors in the Pacific Northwest is the rain, you know, or, or end of September on it's just rainy and moist and you know we're up further north so uh, the it just not great so being able to do a, a light depths up here made it so we could grow some of these higher end indoor strains um outdoors and also get in before the outdoor flood hit um so you met my first so you met this girl in 2001 like mm -hmm. what was your relationship with cannabis like growing up like was it constantly uh, there was it absent i like mean the first fir first place i got first cannabis i ever got was from a from my dad's uh, from my dad's stash my mom and dad's stash nice. and my my best friend's sister was babysitting us 
I was 12, 13, and I went and rolled the most half-assed joint you've ever seen before and tried to smoke it. Didn't get high, um, you know, but then the second time I smoked cannabis um, was with, with a buddy and definitely, like, got high. I thought it was Forrest Gump. Jenny. <laughs> We just started running. Um, so yeah, you know, I um, I gravitated to cannabis early on. Um, that first time I got high uh, was like, like, where is this panel? This is yeah. like, you know, alcohol always made me feel like too out of control. Like, and I just vibed with cannabis more. Um, back then and it wasn't as much as my parents were um you know liberal and and uh smoke cannabis they didn't want to see their 14 year old um son starting sure. to smoke cannabis so you know it started to become a bit of an issue um and some friction between my parents and i uh earlier on but um and and the uh uh i basically how's it going how's it going right I just arrived. I'm behind uh, Uptown Waterloo, getting ready for uh, their first Toro drop. So first Toro drop in all of Canada. I wasn't going to miss out. So I camp out back here. I got my rig. I'm just going to set up. I'll go on mute, let Chaz continue. And uh, we're hoping to secure the first Toro slippers in Canada. Beautiful. <laughs> right, sorry, I forgot yeah, where I'm going. Your parents, your parents not want well, yeah. to a 14 year old. Smoking weed, you know, so. Um, as I got older, it created friction, um, between us and, uh, like I got caught at school with it, you know, it was pretty lame. Like they, they, they sent me home and then had the police come to my house and I had to have this, sh this talk with the sheriff and he's like, no kids are, they're being laced with pcp in your cannabis and you don't know what type of drugs we're getting and we just served a warrant on this house where you know we're trying to bust a grow up and one of the sheriffs got shot so this is you know this is no joke and i'm like oh great so that was sort of my initial uh baptism into yeah into cannabis and dealing with authorities uh around it i just did see what the the cause for concern was when, you know, everybody's drinking alcohol and getting fucked up that way. And, uh, you know, like cannabis didn't do that to me, like really helped me with depression and, and anxiety and just helped me in some ways fit in, in my own skin a little bit better than, uh, without it. Uh, when did you start snowboarding? Uh, when I was 10, so I'm 40 now, uh, yeah. and that. You know, throughout my high school times, snowboarding was what my obsession was, all that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I, I got out of high school and started going to community college. And I sort of had this, what the hell am I doing moment? Like, yeah. why? I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't, wasn't seeing the benefit right away from it. Um, and right around that time was when I was dating that girl up on the, up on the skeedy and she, uh, uh, and it just clicked. I went and rented a house on 50 acres of land 
and uh, it's a four bedroom house with a full um, full basement and two pole buildings and two meters on the property. So oh, very nice. It was right outside of Bellingham, and I just lit it up, and I like constantly just reinvested my money into buying new equipment and new gear. You know, so how did you start? Like, were you just pro mix, sunshine mix? Like, you know, what was your oh, evolution? Because yeah. I know you're quite accomplished, you know, living soil grower indoors. So I've always, I've what always been like, a, a, I've always been inclined to grow organically. Um, I've done some, a, a couple salt grows in my life, but really, I mean, not was your very first like when you lit up the barn were you using salts and and pro mix no i was using a a box farm ocean forest um and some uh botanicare uh their 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 line their full line and that's was sort of the basis of what i used for a really long time as i've gotten you know more into organics that was what i thought was organic now it's semi-organic from what i found out um but you know today there's so much better ways to grow cannabis than um than with that so i i so you know i would i've grown uh deep water culture once killed it with it but just wasn't i i enjoyed the soil i enjoyed the taste of the uh of the cannabis that came from that um you know, it was back so, then. Sorry, Chaz, I want to talk yeah. about like when you first started growing large scale, you're in Washington. What year is it? What's the market like? You know, was it easy to move your products? Was, uh, talk a little bit about yeah, that. 2000, 2002, you know, and, uh, it was, uh, the market was, if it was good, it sold, you know, like. I would sell pounds for uh, 4,000 bucks a pound um, for quite a while on that. And growing in Bellingham, I sort of got to this point where, you know, Bellingham's not that big of a city. And uh, I felt like I was becoming too big of a fish in a small pond. Um, So that sort of, turned me on to maybe looking at other areas where it'd be safer and that's what eventually led me to move down to um humboldt but those formative years in washington of sort of doing bigger grows um really helped me just sort of dial it in and uh let's see the strains i was growing first strain i ever grew was sensi star um back in the day it was hor- i did i did a horrible job at it like classic didn't know ventilation temperatures etc you know i went down to uh uh the indoor garden shop on sixth avenue in tacoma and mike from the uh, tacoma indoor garden uh set me up with a thousand watt light a little squirrel cage fan and uh half the leaves were yellow on my uh, plant i didn't know about ph or anything Second time after that, I grew some outdoor uh, with a buddy. We just did some gorilla stuff and, uh, you know, had a lot more success with that. And then, um, you know, 
when I when I got that place in Bellingham. What year was that, Chaz? That was 2002 uh, when I got the place in Bellingham. Um, I connected with a with a buddy who had the plug on good genetics and like actually getting clones, and he he hooked me up with you know Northern Lights, Skunk, uh, Durban Poison, uh, uh, a bunch of just really fire genetics that I wish I still had today. That skunk that I had was that quote unquote roadkill um, where it smelled like a ran over skunk uh, and I'd have to, you know, double bag it, triple bag it, and you could still smell it out of my backpack, you know, when I'd show up uh, at a house. Um, But it, it, you know, it was, I didn't know then you know, how, how valuable those genetics would be in the long run. Um, the same guy who gave me those genetics is the guy who taught me how to make bubble hash for the first time. And that sort of just blew my mind. Like I love smoking flour, but I love, 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 love smoking hash. Um, Okay. So what was hash like, what was making hash like back then? Like how were you taught? Making hash back then. So we had, um, he had a set of bubble bags and, uh, you know, he, uh, just showed me the process. It was in a five gallon bucket. Um, we took some of the, uh, uh, outdoor and I grew, um, and just put that in the straight bud in there. And then, um, all the trim that I would have for my grows and, uh, beat it with, a. uh, First, we'd use a, a just a wooden spoon, and um, that works, you know, in using that for agitation. But it was uh, back then; I didn't really know what quality hash was, and it was fire hash. But I wanted more of a yield, so that's where like the the like egg beater type things started to come in: egg beaters or mortar mixers or. Um, paint mixers um to agitate the ice and water and uh yeah that that started to be something that um was was something that was really novel to a lot of people um down in washington canada is interesting because there is more of a history of of traditional hash up here i would say a lot more than what we have um in in the states most people had never seen hash before uh, they'd met me. You know, there's um, one of the guys from Oleum, who's a big uh, extraction company down in Washington. Uh, I gave them their first hash ever, you know, and and uh, those are the things like I'd watch people turn green, you know, because they're not used to that potency. Um, I also had a volcano back then and no one had ever seen these things. So I give them a, a a a knife a knife toke through the bong of some hash, and I'd give them a couple bags from the volcano and lights <laughs> up for it. It was it was the wicked combination. But um, you know, I, as I started to like I was saying earlier, feeling like I was becoming a big fish in a small pond in Bellingham, um, I started to look at different options of where to go. Um, and at this point, I was doing a lot of trips back and forth between um, Washington and California. 
And at this point, it was still viable for me to drive Herb down that magically cross this alleged line uh, that's called a border and uh, would take that down to Cali and then get rid of that. And about mid 2000s, that sort of switched where, okay, I could buy outdoor from Cali and then drive it up to Washington. And in doing that, I started to make more connections. Um, and I uh, uh, went to go buy a set of my own bubble bags to start doing that uh, without my buddy Cody. And uh, that's when I. Were these Marcuses? Yeah, these are Marcuses. Uh, I ended up talking to him, finding out that, um, you know, he would do wholesale on the on the bags to me if I purchased. I forget how many. Uh, and, you know, it sort of light went off inside my head. And I was like, I could take these down to Cali and just do the festival circuit and event circuit down there and just slang them. You know, like I was making 100% profit on every single set of bags and um, tons of people had. Because there's no reaction back then, right? Like there was no. No, it was, it was pretty. There wasn't. There wasn't. Um, there wasn't. This is early 2000s. There wasn't really even dispensaries. There was some, but not like there is today. Um, the, the, uh, the, you know, this was when Trim 2. What people didn't want it, they wanted to get it off their property. If they were to get popped with it, it'd just be a lot more weight. Um, so we would, you know, sometimes it'd get given to us, like get hundreds of pounds of trim given to us. Um, you know, we would uh, sometimes do a split with the farmer. Sometimes we'd pay, you know, 50, 75 bucks a pound uh, for trim. And my buddy um, Gabe and I, uh, he was pretty much my like my first true partner in in doing um, things uh, on a larger scale. Um, he ran into me down. This is when we first met. I ran into me down in in Cali selling those bell bags, and at first he's like, "Who the fuck are you, dude? You are you you are ruining the you know you're you're giving these bell bags to people who I'm getting my trim from." And they're not going to give it to me anymore. So he at first was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you, you're going to you know, ruin it for everybody because no one really was doing that. Um, then we just started talking and we're like, hey, we have more in common than we don't. Um, let's just see about making hash together. So, um, you know, I probably sold 100 sets of bubble bags um, over that period of time. And uh, uh after that, after I met my buddy Gabe, um, we pretty much just hung it up, um, or I hung it up on selling the, the bags um, retail. I did that for about a year, and then I was that's like, sick, man. That's so yeah. cool that you like put all that out into the community, changed so you know, set so many people on their path. That's very cool. Well, I often, I, you know, it's funny. I like, I often wonder like if some of these bigger people were people that I sold bags to back in the day yeah. you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. from the same sort of similar area and you know nobody had really um, heard of them or they knew of them but never seen them um you know and that was that was certainly the, the was it a four bag set that you were selling 
I think I think so, or maybe a five bag set. I can't. To be honest, I can't that's, remember. That's I sold the five. I sold the five gallons and the twenty gallons. Um, I didn't have as many sets of the twenty gallons, but um, so, you know, so we so we five, would. Uh, 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 my buddy Gabe's sister um, was one of the head people at Harborside um, in in uh, in the Bay, and we pretty much just had that outlet as as our way to move all of our hash. And um, we were, you know, we were getting four thousand dollars a pound for a long time for our bubble um, pounds of pounds of bubble that we would bring in there, and you know, it just it was a really great uh, time. I often look back at that time and really glad I made the best out of it. Oh, sure, because it was the wild, wild west compared to sure. what things are today. Um, we have way more restrictions it's not as fun i still love cannabis but um the amount of regulations and uh, the amount of suits that are in it culture vultures you know charlatans that it just sort of can spoil it a little bit uh, i've never heard culture vultures i like that that's a real good one man that's one of my favorites they're just here here to here to make money and you know that's so what's going to happen with mushrooms next. Oh, it's happening. Yeah, it's already happened. Talk a little bit about getting set up in Cali. I know you have talked. You know, you're talking about the hash, but you're cultivating there as well. Like, what did that look like? Like, what prompted uh, the move? You know, uh, Daddy didn't want to get fucking busted. I got robbed. <laughs> like, uh, small I got, pod, small fish. Yeah, I got I got robbed pretty bad um, at the end of it, and um, you know, my whole setup had been fucking compromised. <laughs> Uh, like you come into like one of the movie type things, you know, where all the couches are torn apart, cupboards empty, you know, looking for money. Um, and then to top it off, uh, they took one, they, they chopped my garden, uh, the day before I was about to harvest it. And they, uh, they fucking took a plant after they robbed me. They took a plant and they left it at the end of my driveway, like right up against my gate. And I was just like, fuck, like, fuck, fuck. So, um, you know, I was like, I gotta, I gotta move everything out of this house right now. You know, I want to hit shit in the woods just in case, like yeah. the cops spot by. I was lit, I was on a, uh, Indian reservation. So the cops, the local sheriffs didn't have the, um, uh, jurisdiction That's to go in. Yeah. yeah. So that was another sort of layer, um, shut everything down. Uh, and I was like, well, I got 50 acres. I'm going to throw a huge party. So I went and printed, uh, like a thousand flyers and I went and handed them around, out, uh, around Bellingham. I got 15 kegs of beer, a uh, a handful of bands, porta potties at my house for my field, and uh, I made over ten thousand dollars that night at the gate. Um, and you're not getting porta potties, not making people shit in the woods. Well, <laughs> I, I had to deal with the clean. I had to deal with the end part of cleaning it up. But yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. So uh, the guy who um, Lauren, uh, who ran Northern Lights Gardening in Bellingham. 
um, was from Petrolia in in um, in Humble originally, and moved up to Washington to get out of the scene and start an indoor garden shop. Um, but he was like, "Oh look, yeah," and uh, uh, he hooked me up with this uh, nursery in Garberville. Um, not cabs, I don't think, but it was just a, like a nursery, nursery that sold equipment. Um, Soil, pretty much everything you'd want, and they gave me a grower's loan of you know like a like a nine month loan to basically um, get all the equipment, set it up, and then they charged a fifteen percent interest on it. So I was able to go down there, got a spot, uh, was able to where set up, uh, got a spot. The first place I ever had um, was uh, between Arcata and Trinidad. Uh, and the first place I ever stayed was actually on Fox Farm Road in Trinidad. And uh, uh, it was where the guy started Fox Farm at. Um, yeah. the, and and uh, yeah, girl, my old roommate from up here, uh, was lived down there for a while when she was a kid and uh, just introduced me to some of her friends. Uh, so did you go down there with like a, a crew or did you go down? I went down there with your hands solo. I went, I went down there with Herbert and a couple other girls and a guy um, to work at a farm for part of a season. And uh, that just sort of, uh, I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. I'm done with yeah. Washington. Um, this is, I want the culture and I want the community behind it, not to have to live in the shadows as much. Because yeah. living in the shadows, eh, for me, it's taken its toll on having to live this dualistic life of this is what I look like to society and this is what I look like to myself. And, you know, yeah. I'd rather be just authentic as much as I could. Uh, 100%. And, and that that was a, a, a better fit. So, uh, yeah, my my old roommate ended up moving down back down to Humboldt and she's now the... Uh, the head of the Humber Humboldt County Growers Association. Oh, that's so cool. Basically just helps people get make the do the transition into becoming legalized and place to support oh. farmers in Humboldt County. But, so on that farm when you were working, was it light dap? Was it full term? Like it was full term outdoor. Oh, um very cool. And big huge plants. Uh you know, with huge army tents in the woods. You know, with gorilla shit, yeah, gorilla shit. Like with with like motion sensors throughout the woods because um, we had national forest on on a couple sides, so hunters would come in sometimes into the property. You know, and harvest time is right around hunting time, uh, so they'd have these motion sensors go off. They'd go walk. One of the guys would get, grab a gun, walk outside, just start bam, 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 bam. Um, you know, say to do it or they get on their quad and go shoot guns off by where that zone was it was wild it was crazy there was automatic weapons there was a lot of drugs drinking um good and bad you know uh, i watched someone total two brand new trucks within the span of three weeks roll them down a ravine like not not you know like these are 60 dollar trucks and uh you know we what year did you get, get to get to the triangle 2002 ish 2000 i'm trying to think about this earlier 
2000. It was when the uh, go. It was when we were having stuff going in like overall in in I think it was the Gulf War or something or the Iraq War that had just started then. Um, but I would say 2002, 2003, and then uh, you know when I really started getting going and um started getting these uh, uh bigger crops up and into just into more of a distribution um hub that i could move it much faster when basically once it was grown it was gone and i didn't even have to leave um humble so you know that that was uh we were growing a lot of this uh, strain called jack flash uh back then which was like a jack herrera cross really good hydroquinoline also growing, uh, we grew a lot of train wreck back then, which is a, a awesome strain. A bitch to grow though, like just floppy all over the place. Um, lots of supports needed. Lots of supports needed. You know, lots and lots of supports needed. Uh, I hadn't been turned on to trellising back then, so I was just staking everything. And that was like, one, it's a pain. Two, you're going to poke your eye out with one of those bamboo snakes one day. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and um, yeah, we did that down there and we would start doing uh, uh, outdoor and during the summer and uh, and then with some light depth. And then basically we'd harvest and um, I would go up to Lake Tahoe and rent a house up there for the um, for the winter. And you know, do indoor up there for the uh, for the winter, and then go back down to the coast and do um, you know do more growing um, there. It was uh, it was nice to get out of Humboldt too because it can be a bit of a echo chamber as far as like people that are there, um, and it's pretty removed from away from everything. You know, to get to bigger cities you got to drive hours and hours it's like six hours to san francisco whereas two hours from lake Tahoe to san francisco so it was or three hours i forget um but you know that was sort of the pattern that i got into of uh you know going out there uh growing weed going to the mountains snowboarding going back out there all the while while making cash and uh you know just figuring out different ways to make money and to do something that I was really passionate about. Um, you know, right. Talk a little bit about the hash progression. Like, you know, you, 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 you were talking you were talking about the bubble bags. You're, you know, you, you made a couple trips, you're moved the bubble bags and now you've got these bag sets, like talk. So, so we would like basically, the evolution. Basically, yeah. Uh, we would basically, um, you know, we did 20 gallon or they're really 35 gallon sets, bubble bags. And, uh, we'd have my buddy Gabe and I would each be on a, on a trash can and we'd have a big paint mixer type, uh, type drill with a big mortar mixer at the bottom of it. And we would just beat the shit out of it. Like just sit there, run it for like fifteen minutes on high with the drill, just go. The first, the first wash, you wouldn't not 
Like just right yeah. first, first end of the gate. Let's and go. dude, we would still get some fucking fire out of it. That's you know, like, um, I figured out this one time I put some hash into a turkey bag and it got warm and, um, the, the hash sort of melted and congealed on the, on the, uh, on the turkey bag. And it gave this sort of sheen to it. And then that made, made me, he realized, I started to see the difference in, in melt quality throughout that stuff. And also the correlation for how much time we're beating it to the amount of green and particulate that was coming out of it. Um, so we do, we started to do lighter agitation. And to be honest, like I would just do a light agitation at the beginning, pull that, keep that for myself and then, uh, run everything else, um, on a longer, longer cycle. And we were, we were dabbing back then, but essentially we are taking, you know, hot knives through the bone, like but that, which is essentially dabbing, but, um, on a, on like a swing. No, like fuck butter knives, <laughs> butter knives. And, and like, like I'll love your bowl. Like go like hot knives through a ball. Like, like, yeah, I, I like told you what knives. I was doing. Like it's hot knives. Like, the ball. like you, you, you pull the carb out, you pull the carb out and you put the hot knives up to the down stem of your bong and just hit the bong that way through through there like ease up the knives on the stove or on a torch and uh you know go to go to town on it years yeah it was uh well finally then i i got um you know i I became more heady and i had like a glass blower friend you know make some flat punties that just had like a little flat round disc on the end you know that i could heat up instead of having metal knives and that became you know a little bit more refined um but you know i i was making hash and and uh probably we do a, a we do a big procurement of material and then one big wash a month essentially sometimes two but basically it was just you know figuring out who had the best material lining it all up you know the logistics of it of us all um we would typically do it at my house. Um, sometimes we do it at Gabe's. So then it was like, okay, we got to go grab all the material, drive it all to another part of the state, make it, you know. Um, and in this period of time, um, I was living in Lake Tahoe and uh, uh, I went out snowboarding one day and we hadn't gotten any snow in probably like three weeks. And I was just going and doing laps through the train park, um, you know, and, and it was super cold the night before, um, and the snow was really hard and fast and I overshot a jump. Um, and I came down from about 30 feet up, uh, to the flats and I landed on my feet, my ass at the ground, just from the amount of like me hitting the ground, I didn't hit my head, but it knocked me out and I, uh, fractured um, two vertebrae in my back um, and I dis- dislocated a, uh, a rib so that like, it would like literally just like stick out of my, out of my, uh, stick out. And, um, that was, uh, one of the more challenging times of my life. I pretty much became unable to do anything. Um, couldn't, you know, hold my arms out in front of me with the, uh, with, 
without it hurting a lot. I had two really good friends um, fly down from Washington uh, and basically take care of me, harvest my crop, trim everything up, uh, and then drove me back up to Washington to stay with family um, for a while until I got better. And uh, spent about a year up there. Then I came back down to back down to Humboldt just because it was it was what I knew, you know, and and uh, I uh, basically just got plugged in back there and was having to um, do things a lot slower. I could make cash in the way that I used to. I could pull bags and do that type of work. Um, I definitely fell down the rabbit hole of, of uh, taking opiates to deal with that and the consequences of what that is like. Um, you know, had a doctor that would just prescribe it uh, without question. Um, but once I started using cannabis in, in the way it should be used, um, my life became much better at that point of just dealing with pain and uh, and the clarity in my life. You know, uh, after that that sort of big event, um, it took me a couple of years to fully recover from it mentally, physically, um, and to just get back on the horse again. And uh, you know, it, it did show me the, the power of what cannabis can do. Um, it's not as powerful of a painkiller as opiates, but it, it works, you know, like it, it will do the job and not leave you messed up at the end of the day. Um, you know, so I, I, uh, I was trying to figure some stuff out, went back to school for a bit and got a degree in, uh, environmental science. Oh. environmental education and in Canada or in, uh, in, in Washington, in Washington, actually. Um, I went to Evergreen state university, which is like this super hippie, uh, state college in Washington. It's, it's so hippie. They don't give you grades. They give you written evaluations of your progress and you write written evaluations of your professor. And you have the ability to do these self, um, self uh learning contracts where you find a you find a, a professor and they'll sponsor your your learning or you could go travel and study whatever it is i did a lot of geology um so uh you know it, it was it was it it taught me how to learn um gave me enough a rope to hang myself with but taught me how to learn and really um Opened my eyes to the importance of science uh, versus just anecdotal stuff. It, it, and in that education, um, I I had this sort of epiphany of uh, biology, soil biology, and how everything is connected within our ecosystem, within our forests, and that started to drive my desire to try to understand what was going on more in the soil and how to grow organically and learning about mycelium and the, how interconnected all the trees are in the root zones 
with the mycelium and how it helps with nutrient transport. And um, I guess it just taught me how to look at things a little bit more critically um, from a scientific viewpoint, um, which I, I have found to be very beneficial moving forward as I've gotten older in, in cannabis or in a lot of different parts of my life. So I feel you here, Lemire, and it's all about, uh, less about what like you hear from your friends or the rumble in the crowd and more about, yeah, what is the evidence? What does the evidence show? And, um, I had to air at the car. I was like, fuck the box. <laughs> um, it, it's like, you know, everybody might talk about, yo, salt, it's so easy. It's so quick to grow with it. You know, you don't have to do this and that, but I kind of think of like regenerative growing or organic or living soil as like what's old is new and what's new is old. And it's like, that's, what's always worked. If you go outside and you're growing, it's regenerative, you know, living soil. Well, uh, salts didn't come onto the true agricultural market until after world war two. And they had all these bomb making salts oh. that they had access of, and exactly. they started pushing that onto the agricultural world because it, it, it's nitrogen, it's phosphorus, you know, and, uh, if you look at books in agriculture and organic gardening before then, it's all, it's all the type of stuff that regenerative no-till people are doing. Um, and it wasn't until that sort of big war machine, you know, put that shit out that. It's crazy when, like, when you think back of like, so it's not that you look at what science says it says do exactly that do the regenerative growing you know if you want if you're making cash do it in a super cold environment so you can break off the heads and not let the resin spill out basically um but look at the trends based on economics and that's what's kind of influenced more so how we've done things and you know i didn't know that about the bomb making thing but that's like uh that's crazy because I've been, I've been watching or like, you know, learning more about the history of current things or current trends rather than like, if you look at the science, you can find the straight science. But then if you look at the current trends, you realize maybe why this people aren't following the science or it's pseudoscience or it's like, you know, what makes money. Exactly. And that it, it's just been fed to us through different forms of propaganda, essentially that it's what they need. And now you're looking at farms that have to use these pesticides to grow these seeds to get the crop and like they have to pay more cyanide and all the, I don't know. It's yeah. That's, it gets, I do think, <clears throat> I do think it's going to happen in cannabis though, or it already is happening in some ways. Um, you know, with the, the, the exploitation of, yeah, well just, the big egg is going to change the way that cannabis is delivered to the people for good and for bad. You know, I do think that people should have access to clean, good medicine. Doesn't have to be heady, but it has to be pesticide free, has to be clean and healthy to use. And, you know, hopefully it tastes good. Uh, you know, and that, that big scale farming can fit that bill. But that's not necessarily what I'm into. You know, I want craft. I want the best 
of the best. If I'm going to put something in my body or in my lungs, I want it to be as good as it can be. I think uh, I really hope that we're seeing, I was going to say, I really hope that we're seeing that in like the common consumer, because that's what we feel all, all at this table. Um, you know, on, on this podcast. And that's something that we all literally strive for. And that's literally what the show is, is, uh, is about like our whole thing that I think we talk about all the time is I'd rather smoke half as much, but twice as good. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Me too. You know, I, I, uh, one, like life is short. Why not have the best if you can have it, you know, and having these skills, like it's pretty unique to be able to grow this stuff and to make concentrates um you know it's 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 uh it's definitely special to be able to do that so as a guy who had you know a, a front row seat to both california and washington legalization you know take us through your thoughts on some of the things that each state did right and some of the things that each state did wrong um, and then, you know, we're going to eventually tie that all back into Canada, but I want to really just kind of focus on the U S for right. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. There's a lot that they did wrong. A lot. Can you say anything they did right? Uh, <laughs> legalized it. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, I think having these conversations and getting your, the opinions of guys who lived it you know, front hand instead of consultants who have, you know, heard the retelling at a business table, you know, from, you know, 14th hand, like I think really talking and, and, and well, hearing, you know, what, so worked, like, what didn't, what was so wrong, like in Wa- why it was in wrong. Washington, in Washington, um, to start, you know, uh, they handed out 1500 licenses for cultivation, uh, and processing. And only 400 retail stores throughout Washington. So just getting shelf space on, on those was super difficult. Um, you know, especially if you're a smaller scale farmer, who's more doing it by the bootstraps and, uh, you know, it's not super well-funded, uh, versus some of these huge businesses that are have millions of dollars investment, a marketing team, you know, to be able to put all that stuff out there. They're the ones who got the shelf space first. And then those companies have these had a a race to the bottom on on prices and uh where they're operating on pennies pennies on the dollar for profit. And uh they can do that with economies of scale, but as smaller producers and growers um, cannot operate at that level, you know. Uh, so, yeah, the the overregulation uh, of it and the uh, the fear of the stigma, you know, the stigma of cannabis and that it's you know needs to be watched because all these criminals. Um, there's still a criminal element to it, but you know, everybody who gets into legal cannabis is getting into it because they don't want to hide behind the, the, the 
They don't want to hide anymore. They want to do things right. Well, and there's, there's there's a there's a criminal element to the fucking maple syrup industry. Like go on Netflix mm-hmm. and watch all about it. It's still yeah. there. You know, there's a criminal oh, element to the olive oil oh, man is the biggest guess. one. There's a criminal yeah, element to HSBC. It's like, yeah, we did a little bit of business with cartel, and yeah, we're going to continue to do business with cartel, but don't judge us. And it's like, for some reason, cannabis gets to be painted with, you know, the negativity that is, but maple syrup is all, you know, sunshine and roses. You know, Farmgate sales too uh, would really help. Um, I'm really glad in Washington that we didn't necessarily have the distribution model that uh, they did in Cali because that's where I'm seeing uh, it just completely shitting the bed for uh, people. And, you know, the issues that I was talking about before with um, Be right back. Bigger I got companies, with bigger companies being able to uh, have more marketing, they're getting more shelf space, they're going to get through distribution more um and it just makes it so you can't do it as a smaller person, you know, direct to the store. And that's one thing we're able to do in Washington. Um, you know, where you talk to a retailer, give them some samples. They like your stuff. You know, uh, you could send out a new batch that had just got tested right away, um, direct to them. You know, there's no going through the middleman that then has to take it and go through their processes with it. Um, yeah. My impression when I, when I spent time in Washington, I drove through 2018 and like stopped at stores that were just down the street from each other. And it was like, yo, th- this whole lineup's different. Like you, you're not carrying anything that the other guy was carrying. And, and that, that was something like, you know, anybody that really is deep into cannabis, I think can identify with enjoying the variety that exists within cannabis. And and so like, as a consumer, I really enjoyed that part of the Washington market where I saw many more brands, much smaller brands, um, than in Cal, than in California, as opposed to Washington. So I thought that was very cool. Oh, you're muted Chaz. The unfortunate part of it is, uh, is that a lot of those smaller brands are no longer around. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, For because example. of that that whole roller coaster ride now there now there is i mean the people who are still around either were really well funded or um came into it with the right idea and uh, more good cultivators and could produce um, did quality survive like like did you see like hey man these guys were from the hills and they didn't really have access to money but they grew you know they grew fire and and now they're still here or Yep. Like that not matter. Okay, that not, that's great. You know, I would say my favorite people in the industry, um, without exception, are all from the legacy market, and that that's just who the people I tried to do business with, source material from. You know, uh, you know, if we we weren't able to fill orders or get you know product on the on the shelf. Uh, I could go source it from one of those guys and white label it, put it on, or, you know, put it out underneath our brand. Um, there's a, a company called Can Organics um, in Washington State. They are awesome. They do uh, mixed light, light depth year round in Washington, and they have a, a extraction facility also. 
um, and they come from come from the same area as me in 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 Tacoma, uh, mm-hmm. in Washington, and then they live down in uh, I think it was in Comche, uh, down in the Triangle, and yeah. uh, you know moved up, and their whole group stayed uh, stayed together, and they were able to make that transition um into the wreck and are still crushing it today um there there's not many other people that i can say that about um that's cool can organics can organics yeah very cool yeah. very cool they're they're uh, uh yeah they they grow some amazing stuff they're the ones who are doing the uh loud genetics the can genetic uh through yep. james james loud they did all the gelato 41 crosses that they're oh very cool that they're putting out so um yeah i mean i just prefer legacy people because i speak the same language as them and you know we all came at it mostly with with a good you know reason not just it, to there's a passion that drove us to it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know that's that's sort of the people I surround myself with. And uh, Wreck is, all I got to say about Wreck is that it's fucked. Like, it is so rip your heart out, uh, demoralizing, uh, banging your head up against a wall, earning little money, being disrespected by people, people trying to, you know, extract information out of you for nothing, and just learning how to set your boundaries. Rec is more about running a business. It is running a business. Um, and that is a huge part of it. Uh, and, you know, that that's part of the reason why people fail. But, um, you know, it, it's, Rec is hard. And um, I've gone through a couple different times in my life where I've been like, screw, fuck this. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. And then that lasts about six months. You know, and then I'm like, ah, these other options for employment are not um, necessarily <laughs> what I want. So, you know, like, how do I got to make this happen? Um, you know, that is a bit of a, a sunk cost fallacy on, like, I've been in it for such a long time. You know, I might as well keep on doing it. But, so, you know, I love it. No, yeah. I don't so, so for guys, so for guys, because I think there's a big disconnect when, you know, Canadian guys are talking, U.S. guys listen, and U.S. guys talking. And, and I think for a guy that's seen both sides, coming to Canada, what surprised you about the industry? Like, what what did you expect walking in? And then what was it actually like as a guy who saw Washington, as a guy who saw California? What was your, you know, what was your well, question? Like, you know, I've, I've been paying attention to the Canadian medical market for a really long time. A bunch of my friends have, have been rocking that for for years, and uh, you know, like we'd always just talk shop when I'd see them, and uh, you know, I'd come up to BC a lot, so sort of new, new, new up with that. Um, the main thing uh, that surprised me was the overreaching. Um, and overregulation of the industry and bureaucracy that goes on. The 
the exclusion of the little little person person a little grower farmer you know craft guy and the favoring of the big well-funded you know multi-province uh operators who you know are just here to crunch numbers and increase stock shares and investors money and that's the majority of it i'm all, one thing that i also am really surprised by is the lack of wreck in british columbia it's all out in ontario I, I i think part of the reason for that is because british columbia still has so many people that are rocking the medical and they don't see any reason to make the transition over to rec um but at the same time uh one of my buddies who who works at uh pacific northwest northwest garden uh supply they uh they've seen like 70 or 80 big shops shut down this past year alone um and the market is tanking on both sides of it you know on rec and on the medical and i don't know why you know i don't uh yeah, it's, it's, it's the distribution thing is another thing that I'm really disappointed with, uh, in, in Canada, because it's, it's like the weak link in the, in the whole thing. Cause you grow it, you process it, and then you give it to this distribution facility that isn't climate controlled. They don't handle your stuff, how it should be handled. And then that gets passed on to the, uh, retail store. And then on to the consumer. And then that's what the consumer is going to think your product is, you know, especially if, 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 uh, once one step had been missed or it'd been really hot during that big heat wave we had, lose all your tarps. And then people are just going to think your stuff is garbage. So, uh, it's an unfair, un, unfair playing field. And, uh, uh, I would really like to see uh, more people able to get into it on a smaller scale without the restrictions. I mean, I even think the micro licenses are too too small, you know, like they need to be at least 5,000 square feet or more, if not 10. I would say 10,000 square feet. enough. No, 2,000 square feet is a, is a joke. Like, yeah. Absolutely, bro. It's, uh, you don't have, you better be on your grow and on your business and selling every single scrap that you have um, efficiently. Because if you only have 2,000 square feet and you have an issue in one of your runs, then it doesn't provide you with much of a buffer to fall back on. Um, You know, so, yeah, I mean, Canada, I was stoked on that we still have medical up here and it's pretty, pretty liberal, you know, like I can do my thing at my house and not feel like I'm going to get in trouble, you know, like I can, my, 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 my script is for 495 plants and I never go, you know, even close to that. I got the biggest one just so I could 
not even worry about it, especially if I'm doing pheno hunting for, um, you know, for, for solventless and I want to run through a bunch of seeds, you know, back those seeds up and then, you know, towards the end of that harvest, pop a bunch more, my numbers could be up, but I just want that, that safety. Um, I think Canada suffers from a lack of of diversity of strains up here. Um, and, and especially in the rec market, everybody's got the same thing and, uh, there's just not a lot of variety of, you know, I'd say it's probably two to five years behind, uh, the States also. And just like what's popular, what genetics make it up here, you know, by the time they get across to the public, you know, it, it's, uh, it just is longer and slightly less educated consumer base up here too. Um, there's people like us here on this panel, but most people would rather smoke, you know, the brick hash and, uh, pay the least amount of money for the highest amount of THC. That's, you know, what people look for cheap ounces. RJ and I were talking about that not too long ago. I asked him, I go, do you think the, the brick hash market in Canada is bigger than the rosin market? Yeah. No. I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. That's a tough, I mean, that's it's, a, well, RJ, what's that's a tough question. I think so. I think so personally, because the brick, I think the brick hash market sells better than rosin and dabs currently, just because that's where the market is. I could be you, dead wrong. I don't have any metrics. That's just my opinion. You look at the I, demographics of people smoking hash and they're older, like, like the brick hash and, um, and they're not going to be yeah. ones to convert over to dabbing. I think they're going to con- continue to smoke their oh, hash sure. in, that, in that way. For sure. I think like you hit the nail on the head it is like a generally more uneducated customer just due to the, I think the the availability of quality due like in California, as an example, due to, you know, uh, what was it prop two fifteen in, in, in California, sorry to interrupt RJ, but like in California, you were able to transition from legacy to legal and bring that following with you. Whereas in Canada, you can't even have any connection to any right. kind of branding, conveying any type of feeling in any way. Right. So that, right. Uh, the people who want to buy expensive rigs and, and, and this is a lifestyle, you know, they're connected to these legacy brands and people and, and there's no optionality for them to connect. You know, we're just starting to see legacy guys transition into the Canadian space, but we haven't seen it for the last three years. So, you know, it, it's really just starting and, and, and it's tough, but the, the value of a rosin um, consumer or a dabber versus the value on average, if you were just like looking at it from a metric, a sales metrics point of view, the value of a dabber is higher to a, to a company than the value of a brick hash smoker. 1000%, 1000%. That's unarguable. However, like you said, the conversion factor is, is the issue, right? Like so many people are so attached 
Like I've been like, I work for a legal company. I've worked for a legal company for three years. I have products out on the market that are a quality product, you know, for like a reasonable price. And I stab rosin <laughs> and BHO from, you know, people in the legacy market that make good things because of it's, everybody in Canada does. <laughs> right. Right. So seriously, that's like, everybody, I, like I can't, and how, it's, and how, I can't buy an ounce you... or a half ounce at the store of, of like, I can't buy a jug, a quarter or whatever that I want. Why not? Yeah. Are you not going to pay $800 for a quarter ounce of rosin? Yeah. Well, that's the thing yeah. too, right? Like it's got to be at a point where it makes, it makes sense, which is the other side of it. Right. So. Yeah. It's the te testing, uh, the, the, uh, the amount of testing that we also have to go through up here completely kills it. You know, yeah. I that's what I the government we can keep the testing, but we get rid of the provincial distribution. Oh yeah. That's, I think the distribution should be the testing, you know, it goes to them to be tested and then, you know, that's what they do. But the price, the price, the inflation of what it has to be to be profitable, you know, uh, these hundred and twenty dollar grams, like, no, that has to stop. The amount of taxes is, you know, if you cut, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's worse. It's worse in BC. We have a twenty percent vape tax that covers extracts. So your what? favorite, like, oh yeah, yeah. Welcome to BC, everyone. So like, <laughs> you want to go buy a gram of your favorite concentrate? It's going to be sticker price plus twenty percent and the provincial taxes. Damn. Thank you and yeah. go fuck yourself. Right? Yeah. Like that's, that's how it feels like to shop in BC. Right? Yeah. It feels like we, we get punished for wanting to consume concentrates. So why I've are we going to, you know, like it sucks. It sucks. Also go and, you know, support the few brands that I, that I, you know, like and, and support in the legal market. But like it, it deters me from spending more money in the legal market. Right? Or I'm looking to spend it on beverages or, you know, drink drops, stuff like that, where it just, it, it makes more sense for me versus, you know, a high priced extract where it's just like, yo, I can go for the similar monies and hit up, you know, one of these crazy mail orders or the guy down the road that I know that consume or produces absolute fire, you know what I mean? And then like, I'll just consume that, you know, it just, it, it, it there's something, like it just, there's, set there's some things that I don't want to do, like. I'll make RSO for, you know, eating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't want to deal with that whole process. And it's just easier to go to the store. And RSO is pretty, you know, I don't feel it's getting raped at the yeah. price of it, you know. Yeah. Is somebody but, but has, there is some reasonable but, products at reasonable prices. But like otherwise, I think the whole market's just kind of propped up on this false sense of, you know, inflation because of the whatever margins the provincial retailers end up taking. I mean, in, in, on top of cash, like I want to turn a little bit to cultivation, like Chaz, you've got buddies in Washington doing big scale indoor living soil. Um, like talk to the people a little bit about the limitations the Canadian space has to operate in a similar program. Like, yeah, the, 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 the. The 
issue that I have with the testing is the issue that uh, microbial testing. Yeah, microbial testing is the big issue. They're scared yeah. of it. You know, yeah. anything that grows, you can't do that. So, you know, some of these, uh, you know, you spray lactobacillus on your plants, you know, it could fail. Any sort of uh, growth, even if it's not harmful, is going to make you fail. Um, that's one of the things I do like about uh, what Washington has done, where, you know, they essentially test for the things, black mold, E. coli, stuff that if you ingest it or smoke it, you're going to get sick. You know, targeted testing, targeted testing. Um, and, and that's the, you know, bacteria is all around us. Cannabis doesn't have to be grown in a completely sterile environment, like grown in a test tube. And that's sort of what they had irradiated. We had irradiated to, to, to pass. Um, and that's what the government expects you to do up here to have these. Uh, completely sterile, and I'm not. I don't have an issue with uh, cleanliness and being sterile because you have to. And you know, even just growing and handling your your product, like uh, you could get E. coli on your on your buds from going to the bathroom, coming out, not washing hands good enough, touching your bud. Um, that's that's what needs to be controlled. Uh, but these, you know, other stupid microbial testing things just completely ruin it. Um, it's, it makes it favor the salt grower. Um, and then the market doesn't get as good a product out there. Um, cause I believe that organic cultivation is like develop, you know, delivers a superior product at the end of the day. For sure. Absolutely. And like, what, what are you seeing in Canada on the large scale solventless extraction front versus what you've seen down South? What do you like? What do you not like? And what are your predictions for the future? Sort of in that realm, which I know is your, your specialty. Uh, I think. Like I said earlier, Canada is a couple years behind. Um, people are, you know, the concentrate market is just sort of getting out of the the shatter um, time. You know, where where pe- people think of dabbing, they think of smoking, dabbing shatter, and that's you know, that's a thing of the past pretty much now. Um, the larger scale rosin market is strong in the legacy market, um, and there's some good producers up here. It's better in the States. Um, you know, the, the, the legal side of it here, um, we're going to see some issues with it until they get the climate control done in um, distribution. Because, you know, you send fresh press out or, you know, you send six-star uh, bubble out and it goes and sits in something hot, it's going to completely change what you're trying to give to the consumer. Um, so I think your hands are tied a little bit. I know um, people are doing it. You know, Percy's doing it. Cody, 
uh, you know, big up to him for out there doing it. Yeah, man. Shout out Bodie for being the first fucking guy. I mean, yeah. shout out. Yeah, I mean, that, that takes some balls. Um, cold chain. Cold chain is, like you're saying, that's where it all kind of starts to get rocky. Is We just don't have that cold chain end to end. Yeah. Yeah. Not- and we're going to have Cody on for sure to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, he's doing, he's doing big things and just starting out um, his legal side. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool to see the, see the legacy brands though, you know? Yeah. yeah. Kind, I'm super I, excited for Kind to come. Yeah. Kind of slurm. I'm stoked. I'm stoked for Kind to, to transition. That's going to be a big I, one. I'm, I'm very excited. I think the next year they're going to, at least he made a post a while back saying, yeah, that within this next year we'll see something big happen. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I don't know much more than than that post either. I've spoken to him a little bit, but yeah, um, no, I, uh, I think it's, I think it's what this market needs. I'm super excited being, you know, a peer in the industry to have him, you know, to make his mark, and I think it's going to hopefully change things. Um, I think with all these legacy guys that start coming in, it's just, it's going to start making these ripples that other companies are going to start feeling. So I, uh, I love it. And I think it's exactly what needs to happen. Hopefully it brings more value to the people who bring these skills into the industry. Um, mm. because that's one of the big things that well, I mean, often gets overlooked, you know, I think unfortunately, for someone else. unfortunately what it's going to happen is due to Canadian regulation, you're going to have to build your brand in the legacy and then flip it over to the legal and then it have enough juice to push it, you know, push it to get some traction without breaking any of the Canadian marketing laws once you've done so, or, you know, like the Canadian regulations have created a, a scenario where, you know, of course the workarounds are being found and it's just the in retail Canadian investor money that's being wasted to have to accomplish this. But, but I mean, that's what we're seeing. Like we're seeing either you have to bring a brand up from the States that has highly recognized where it was and then tell its story in Canada, or you have to take a legacy brand in Canada and bring it through. And there's companies that'll be like, yeah, glacial extracts, you know, like what, whatever it is, like we'll grab onto whatever we can, you know, and, and, and go for it. Cause there's more story to tell there than, you know, if you start from scratch with health Canada and you're like, we're coming with a brand new brand. Okay. It was like, Hey, you follow all these regulations, you'll be good. And they're like, okay, we want to show like someone, you know, hiking on a mountain and they're like, ah, you're portraying like a, a lifestyle. That's, that's no go. So it's like, well, okay, well, you know, we want to portray somebody outside. Oh, well, yeah, you can't have an individual representing your brand. It's like, oh, okay. Um, so you, you that, know, you're, that's, a, that's a yeah. huge hindrance, huge hindrance to, uh, to it all, you yeah. know, 100%. To being able to yeah. tell your story, what yeah. you're about. You know, like it, and I guess my biggest word of advice to people out there who are a, um, consumer purchasing in the retail market, or even in the legacy market, is just find a farm that you like that delivers the quality that you like. Don't shop the strains and don't shop the prices. Uh, if you want something that you like, be loyal to those brands, you know, uh, you will know you will have better purchasing if you do it that way than go blindly into it because 
you Absolutely. waste so much money in the in the process of finding what you like through these brands that that can be discouraging too like you know you have no idea who what is your gold is i have no idea i know i've seen them like paul new leaf is that uh, paul yeah so like i i know i know i know those dudes from uh kind of back in the day they're like a local vancouver brand um, but yeah, like it's, it's all about kind of having those brands make the transition and telling that story. Um, and it's just kind of interesting how that's all, that's all shaken out. I have a friend who sold a brand out here recently and that brand is going to be entering the Ontario market very soon. Cool. So a brand from Lacey. Uh, yeah, but no, the, yeah, no one's attached to it. No one's attached to it from the former yeah, company. They just sold the, the rights. Exactly. So, so that's exactly there's, my there's point. There's going to be like more and more of that. There and then transitioned over and then they go. So, I mean, it's silliness is what it is. It's nonsense, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yo, before we get too, too far into this, Chaz, I want to talk about your fishing career. Cause I'm a huge, I got to jump off for a minute. There's a lineup for me. Go, go so get, get those slippers. Yeah. Go get those slippers. I'll be right back. Get those slippers. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, you and I both share passion and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it cause this is our show and we can talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. So, um, talk to me about your fishing career, man. I want to get out. <laughs> so, you know, like snowboarding, fishing, cannabis and yeah. the mountains, you know, those are my, my things. Um, I grew up on the water and, you know, always in a boat. Um, my dad was, he was really into fishing. Um, and, you know, we would go out in front of our house, uh, and catch just a variety of different stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I, I sort of like growing your own cannabis or, or making your own extracts. There's something about catching your own, um, catching your own food, you know, and being able to provide for yourself in that way is super gratifying knowing how that thing was handled from when you brought it out of the water to how it got on your plate um, or being able to give that as a gift to, to people. Um, yeah, yeah it, it was huge. It feels so good. It feels so good. Like it's just, yeah, it's awesome. So like, you know, for sure. uh, the, the island, the Laskiti Island, um, that we have our cabin on, um, just great access to seafood there. You know, I'll go out and, um, put the prawn traps out for a day and sometimes come back to, you know, a, a five gallon bucket full of, uh, prawns or, you know, go out and catch lingcod out there. Um, you know, and I worked, uh, also on and off, um, for one of my best friends down in Washington who, uh, owns a charter business. Um, and we would specialize in taking people, uh, uh, albacore tuna fishing. We do it live bait. Um, so we right. drive, you know, 40 to 60 miles off of the coast of, of Washington. And, um, there'll be these big thermal breaks out in the, out in the ocean where it's actually warmer 
offshore, 20 miles offshore than it is right close to shore. Um, but the tuna will feed sort of at that temperature break of warm to cold. And um, we'll go out there and search for birds feeding or looking for fish jumping or we'll troll around and we'll get a troll fish on and then basically shut shut everything down, reel in all the reels if we are trolling um, and just start dumping bait in the water. And what that will do is we'll get the school of tuna to basically school around your boat as you're just tossing bait into it. And then you hook someone's line up um, to one of these little live anchovies and you toss it in the water. And literally you can like sometimes toss up the water and watch right next to the boat, a big, you know, albacore tuna come up and chomp that thing down. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's rain me for all other types of fishing. It's more of a, more of a team uh, fishing experience because you're on a boat uh, on a smaller boat. Um, we take six people out you're in the back of the boat. Uh, everybody's got a, a fish on six people have a fish on. That would be like the equivalent of having, um, you know, six people with, with 60 pound salmon on each and the lines are going all over the place, getting, getting crossed. So you have to, it's like doing this dance back there and keeping your head, you know, in it and not getting overly excited because like this chaos is going on. But we would go out and, uh, you know, sometimes in one stop, like get them one stop. We've got like 60 or 80 uh, albacore tuna um, in our boat, filled up all the holds uh, that we could carry any fish in and be done after like two hours of fishing. Um, two, and two guys, six six passengers, so two, two guys running two, the boat? Yep. And then How big a boat? 29 foot oh man oh so you were so you were busy and it's, tight you were it's small glad dealing with dealing with pukers people who get seasick oh, yeah. and yeah. you know we go out for 12 hours in a day and you get people who get seasick usually get seasick within the first hour or two and they got to be out there for the rest of the day um people puking on me you know like good good times um but it was also super special to be able to um go out there and be out on the ocean um watching the sunrise with one of my best friends and getting to see nature in that way that's what is drawing me to it that's what draws me to the outdoors you know and snowboarding and climbing of just that connection to nature and uh cannabis is a really good bridge because it's you know it can just really put you in in tune with things too when you're out there using it but uh yeah fishing working doing that fishing is is hard work uh really hard on the body uh, we basically would day, work day in day out. Did you did you go like just six? We, yeah, we we go. You know, our only days off is when it would blow more than twenty five knots. You know, uh, 
out on the ocean and then we'd have a day off you know and that then we might go for another three weeks and then have another day off or two days off um but there's a great group of guys uh we eat really well tons of seafood you know every night uh sit around a bonfire eating well you know it was it was it was good um you know it, it's uh i don't know how much longer though these bigger commercial fisheries are going to go on um and it's something i've become more aware of as i've gotten older is just my impact on uh harvesting seafood out of there and what type of fish i i pull out um salmon i'm not a, like i love fishing for, that's how i learn fishing essentially but i don't really take as many of them anymore i'm more into rockfish bottom fish that have a little bit more sustainable population tuna has a really good albu- uh northern pacific albacore tuna has a very healthy population um level uh and yeah that's that's sort of the uh, i can it i basically do most of it canned i'll do some pokey type stuff or uh yeah but i i have these huge um huge huge pressure canners that are like like 50 quarts or something i don't know what how big they are but uh yeah so that's sort of been my my fishing has been and a little bit of uh guiding for snowboarding has been when I've fallen into on and off throughout my life. Um I you know it it's what I know, what I'm good at. I there's a uh working in what you love though sometimes can can taint it a bit where you get a sour taste in your mouth uh from it or it takes away the fun of it but uh yeah, yeah so sure no that's very cool man i've got i've got a tremendous amount of respect for guys who don't like like it's one thing to zip around within you know a few miles of, of you know land but to rip out you know 20 30 miles to find the the thermal climb and, and find, like we, i did that sort of go ahead no, we we uh we would go out there and stay the night sometimes too. About just 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 me and my buddy Clark, uh, my buddy and his brother, um, and we'd go out there and we do uh, uh we do small commercial fishing trips, like basically like fresh caught, never frozen, yeah, sushi grade albacore tuna, and yeah. and we'd we'd use these things called jack holes, which are. Uh, you might have seen pictures of like old commercial uh, tuna fish. Yeah, where they're just pulling them in and they, flipping them yep, over their shoulders. Essentially, yeah, yeah. And we could, we could, between two people, you can get like on that small boat, you can get a couple hundred tuna, like two hundred tuna, in that yeah. boat with extra storage um, with two guys within a couple hours. Uh, but you know. If we didn't get it good like that, we would just stay the night out there and wake up in the morning, try to fish some more, and then go back and sell sell the fish. But no, I uh, I've done a lot of salmon fishing, but I did one trip for tuna with my dad, and we did two days 
uh, where we would get up and like, you wake up at, you know, 4am or 3.30 and you go steep, like steam for just two hours. Like, I think it's even farther out from the island than it is from yep. probably where you were leaving. But, um, we would get there and, and it was just, you know, it wasn't the day they weren't there. And for whatever reason, we couldn't find them. And, um, and we caught one for like the, the two day slog and there was a few other people in the party and, you know, we ate this, uh, eight pound albacore and it was awesome. But, uh, I, I, I would definitely do it again. It, uh, but yeah, no, well, I have to, I'll have to no, get you on the same time down in hundred percent, hundred percent. Anytime you let me know. Go do, go do that. It's a, it's a kick in the pants. He's gotten a bigger boat since I was, I've been down there. He's got a 41 foot boat now. Then. Oh, that's a nice, that's a nice comfortable boat. You can have a, you can have fun on that boat. Yeah. And it has a big back deck and it has air ride, air ride chairs on it. So it keeps you nice and cush, but yeah, the, uh, you know, to be honest, though, like one thing about that job, you know, since it's regulated by the coast guard that like I could get in big trouble if I tested, uh, positive for cannabis, if there's ever an accident, we had to take a you know, eat uh, yeah. piss test yeah. know, within a, a couple hours, but I always found ways around it. Yeah. I mean, that's life. We, we figure it out. We figure it out. So after being in the Canadian space for, you know, a, a significant amount of time and as a guy, you know, I got to know over clubhouse, but you know, I think has a really strong grasp on Canada and, and what's going on in Canada. Like what advice you have to give to your friends down south about Canada and the opportunities that lie here and then on the same you know side of that coin what words of advice do you have to any of your friends down south that are currently dealing with or like, looking uh, to you know like that. oh yeah yeah Jeopardy year colorful letters yo yo oh yeah what's good what's it all out how much so, are you is this Tom? The, the first ever. Yeah, drop. this is Tom. Yo, so oh. we're we're talking glass also, so we should go over. Tom's got. Hundred percent. We can come back to that question. Yeah. There we go. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Look at the box. Look at the box it's sitting on, man. Yeah, those are fucking fire. So RJ, their audio isn't coming through very well. Do you want to explain what's going on while we're going on? Okay, so they're in the store right now uh, for the Slurper Drop, first Slurper Drop in Canada. Um, this is, those. so those are caps for sale. These are some of the other caps and slurps for sale. These are personal collection. So that's the BTK, the Hookah, and the FTK. Yeah, BTK, Hookah, FTK, all custom. Oh, wait, hold on. Them. I forgot. Oh. Yeah, the slop cups. Um, oh, I thought you had a little split here. That's yeah, ridiculous, just, bro. That's, so those are Takamiyaki collabs. I love his stuff. Um, and his work stuff is incredible. Yeah, incredible, incredible work. Um, Tom's got an incredible collection. Yeah. Wow. Tom's got that was that was so and cool. Then, and then we got to say yeah, that's to awesome. Mascots. Nice store. Really nice store. Such a nice store. Up Uptown Herb Waterloo. Rest. 
Uptown Hurt Waterloo, Waterloo, Ontario. Uptown Hurt Waterloo, the first, first leopard drop in Canada. Yo, look at this guy. But at this point, probably the okay, I'll, 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 drop I'll, I'll, in Canada by a little bit. No, that's more I love those dogs, man. Those are so hot. Yo, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were just dabbing in the carcass. I can't, can't wait. We're doing like two hours on the show, right? Yeah. That's like, lit. So yeah, I went to lit. school with Jake. Luck, Jake. Luckily, luckily the lineup is only like five people. It's okay, a smart businessman and ordered more than five. I'm going to go outside because I can't hear the music. Okay. So Chaz went to school with Jake C. I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I went to, uh, went to school with Jake, Jake C and Gavin Titlin, uh, from Mothership. I was probably one of their first. Uh, weed dealers back in the day. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just gonna leave it at that, but I ended up, uh, went and visited, um, the old mothership shop, um, in Bellingham, uh, where all the, all the crazy original pieces were put out and, um, uh, really cool to see, you know, where, where it all happened. Uh, crazy to watch Jake, uh, grow from, you know, a talented glassblower to, uh, getting, uh, international recognition and basically, you know, redefining heady glass culture, uh, yeah. across the board, you know, like, uh, they're awesome pieces and good guys. This, his work is super tight. If you don't know who Jake C is, search Jake C glass on Instagram. His work is wild. Doesn't matter if you're looking for straight tubes, beakers, uh, rigs, that guy's on that awesome, awesome existence. Awesome color selection. Yes. His color selection is. Yeah. Agreed. How they, how they complement each other. Yeah. His use of gradients too, like he'll use several different shades of color to reach like an ultimate. And it's just, it's the way that he approaches it is, is incredible. And what he yeah. puts together ultimately is it's fantastic. So definitely check him out. Shit's fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not part of mothership anymore though. I, I don't think. Word. I don't think. I, uh, I'm not, I don't keep up under, with the. Neither do I. I, I, I don't even. I think it's just Scott now that, that runs it and they have basically a production, uh, shop that they pump out, you know, um, I guess they go through a lot of glass blowers at that place. Um, mm -hmm. just more people learning and getting out and getting a production job. You know, I'm, I'm sure they still have their, their A team for, uh, you know, the heady pieces that get put out, but. For sure. No, I wanted to go back to that question. Cause I think like, I, I, I think that there's a lot of value to be had from a guy who existed in the Cali market, existed in the Washington market, and then recently, very recently relocated to the Canadian market and like wrapped his head around it because it's a fucked up market. So, you know, like, yeah. so I, would, I, would, advice would, you I have? would say that, I would say that medical is great up here in canada um for now we'll see how long that lasts uh yeah be patient with you know 
getting into business with someone, don't just jump in bed with the first opportunity that comes along. Listen to your gut. Uh, if it doesn't feel right, listen to that and go after that because most of the time it's going to come out to be true. Um, get it. Uh, I've had businesses succeed and I've had businesses fail. And having a business fail can be one of the most stressful, demoralizing things that you'll ever go through, especially with business partners, because it's essentially going through a divorce of your business partners and your business. And when people lose money, they get weird. Um, so really just be intentional. Don't sell yourself short on, on, uh, what your skills are. Uh, you might have to figure out how to reinvent yourself in some ways, um, in the industry. Uh, but also it's okay to go do something else, you know, in the meantime, right. until you, until you find that right fit, um, for you. Cause all too often, right. You know, right now you'll get these big LPs and big companies, multi-state operators that are just out there trying to grab and they'll often hire people with legacy experience um, to gain their SOPs and you go in, you do a bunch of work, you set a bunch of stuff up and then the ball gets rolling and then they fire you or you have a falling out with them because now they think they can pay someone $15 an hour to do a job that you are getting paid a lot more to do. Um, just be cautious. Listen to your gut. Choose who you work with. Choose the people you work with and be intentional on the relationships that you foster. Um, it might not happen right away, but if you maintain those relationships over time, you're going to have a much better opportunity to being exposed to a potential yeah. you know, win down the road. Desperate, desperate decisions are, are rarely good decisions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate what the majority of cultivation and extraction, uh, salaries are at most of the legal facilities. Yeah. So the, the biggest expense that uh, a farm has or a processing processor has is is their employees because they cost the most to train you know and can cost you the most if it doesn't go right um so yeah i mean it's all a balancing act between what you can put up with uh and the people um don't take equity do not take equity from people when you're trying to get in to doing business with them. I have equity in a couple of different farms down in Washington and it's, it's, it's equity. I'm not able to get anything out of it. Um, so yeah, just be intentional. Don't sell yourself short. Would be my sort of words of advice. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Those are good, good words. Very good words. Are you, are you really working on anything in Canada that you want to shout out or are you? I just have my, I have my, uh, my little medical grow down and down in the basement of my, of my pad and 
uh, you know, that's sort of for my single source hash rosin that I make. Um, and also just going through packs of seeds to find uh, new solventless strains. Um, I also work with uh, uh, some good friends out in the Kootenays that I do some stuff with and basically I feed all my uh, my genetics to uh, or what, you know, keepers out of each one. Um, they grow fire. They're just yeah, nice. Yeah, they're, they're great people too. Um, they've been a big support of mine on uh, moving up here and uh, just an inside look into the industry that I wouldn't have got um, initially when I moved up here. So uh, it's a... Are you currently open to taking on a taking on consulting roles? Yeah, definitely open to taking on consulting roles for you know solventless hash uh, lab buildouts, uh, you know SOP refinement, um, you know strain selection, uh, you know people want uh, living soil, uh, you know cultivation experience. What I don't know, I have plenty of people that do know, and that's one of the benefits that, uh, you know, is my Rolodex, my phone book, uh, of, of when I don't have the answer of finding it through the network of people that I do have. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I am intentional on who I want to work with. Um, you know, I'm always down to talk to people and chop it up for an hour, try to feel, feel, feel them out what they want, um, you know, and, and see if that works. If it's, if it works, then yeah. <laughs> the rares and green green team, the real, uh, uh, the team. Awesome. Mask. only behind the mask though. I'll go back to glass when you guys talk. Yeah, no, I think that that's super valuable. So, so. Um, where can people get you at? Like what, what are your, uh, my pretty much, uh, dirty Sanchez, uh, spelled with C H A S at the end, D I R T Y S A N C H A S. And we'll uh, put that in the, in the comments yeah. here. You can find yeah. me there. Um, crystal farmers with an underscore at the end on there. It's sort of my, uh, uh, half-assed Instagram page for, you know, just cannabis related stuff. My dirty Sanchez uh, Instagram one is more of my personal stuff. Uh, then I, I put cannabis on there sometimes, but it's more of just like the life that I live. And yeah. 100%. Very cool. So, what, or you can look, what, look, or you can look me up on Facebook. Uh, also, uh, Chaz Walters, the name down below. So. Are you going to say Jameson? I was going to say like, what, like I still, um, I want to like revisit the question about like, what was the biggest surprise for you coming from, you know, so to speak the future. I mean, I can't, I constantly go down to the U S and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to, you know, look at the markets and, and from, a uh, a brand development standpoint, from, a uh, a quality standpoint. These markets are far ahead of us in the ability not only to capture their consumers and, and talk to them, but the quality that they're producing. And I think in Canada, we're we've like 
gone into the future, almost overcorrected on the regulatory side before we've even produced quality. And yeah. I just like to know, like, you know, what do you think knowing how Canada works can be done for first, what were, what were the biggest surprises? And I know you kind of touched on just over-regulation, but how much your hands are, how much your hands are tied, but like oh. what, Dad, like where, where do you think it can go? Like, what are your future predictions for Canada, negative or positive? I think, um, then, I think Canada, was that? I think Canada is not going to really see the market that we want to see until five to 10 years down the road. And I think the United States is going to be on the same trajectory with that once they legalize. I think some things in the States will happen faster, but we're going to see a shit show. Like, yeah. What happened here? When legalization happens. Yes, yeah, what happened yeah. here in Canada uh, is going to be nothing in comparison to what's going to happen with market grabbing, you know, the like race to the bottom, you know, investors losing tons of money. Um, that's going to be what is going to happen. Uh, it'll do really good at first. Legal markets tend to uh, do really well at first, and then they tank. And it takes a while for everything to shake out. The the way, the, the model of, of cultivation to be worked out, uh, distribution, all of that. The farms to be able to deliver the product that whatever quality it be, you know, be it top shelf or mids. Um, you know, and the consistency of that quality to happen regularly, um, and to have an educated consumer base, it's going to take that amount of time. Like, and I think, uh, it is great in Canada. You're like not three years, five to 10. Five to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's for the States too. Um, cause you know, we've been legal in Washington from 2015, 14, 15. And the market has just turned the corner right after I left to come back up here. It was starting, well, it was just turning the corner uh, before I before I left. But you got it, you got it. Woohoo. Bag secured. But it, it's, 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 uh, to the, the prices have rebounded a little bit and the farmer is getting more at the end of the day, which should be. 100%. That's awesome. Well, it was awesome fucking kicking it with you, man. I fucking. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and uh, we'll do it again one day. Oh, 100%. yeah. That'd be awesome. I'll tell you back. That'd be awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm going to jump off. Oh, guys. All right. Hey, All right take it. Talk to you soon. All right. Fuck. I love Chaz. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah, Man, that guy's got so so much to say. So many stories. OG. Yeah, I love him. I, uh... Okay. So did you want to do like a little lift, like recap, like five minutes or something like that, just to like wind that up?
share it. Right? Where's Brian? I want Brian. I don't know. He was there. Okay, we're you know? well. Let's okay. Let's talk about our sponsor then. Let's talk about Green Tech. Do a little Green. do a little plug for them. Yeah, I mean, I've I recently I've known uh, the founder and CEO for I don't know maybe five years, and he's been uh in the air filtration game for that longer longer probably a lot longer um and i recently brought him on as a sponsor he's got we've got the pure air 3000 in the background here um rj actually retained a lot more of that i'm just dabbed <laughs> up but if you want to talk a little bit about it yeah so it's super cool tech um it's an air purifier with a twist so it's not like a normal kind of deal. It actually will um, like remove volatile organic compounds, VOCs from the air, as well as drop other things like viruses and bacteria out with the way that it works. And the way that it works is they have a UV light and that shines on this metal surface. And the metal surface is like a, um, four different alloys. I'm not sure if it's proprietary or not, but when the UV hits these alloys, it releases um, hydrogen peroxide and depending on how low or how high you have that turned up, you can do a, a larger or a smaller space. And, um, on a low enough setting, it just, it doesn't affect you at all on a high enough setting. It can act kind of like an ozonator, you know what I mean? But that's, you know, you, you don't want people around for that. Um, but on a low enough setting, you can have it in the room beside you, constantly operating, actively operating, cleaning the air around you. And on top of that, it ionizes the air. Uh, positively and negatively, so that's how it drops out um, a lot of a lot of the the stuff that you don't want in the air. So we're super super happy to have uh, these guys as a sponsor. I just probably just put just the tech a little bit. Start but, uh, okay, sorry. Oh no, no worries. Um, yeah, I, I think I butchered the tech a bit, but that's that's the gist. We'll have we'll have Kevin on. We'll talk more about it. We're gonna have him working. Yeah. We're we're gonna do tests. Um, you know, like these not only are you know for your health, but can eliminate odors. So guys, sessioning in um, uh, uh, apartments, you know, apartments and shit like that. Like, I mean, I, I see a, a ton of value yeah. for him. So uh, yeah, it, it does like it does clean the air like these things. These things are great. So I have a couple on the way. We're going to put these things to the test. We're going to be just blowing fat dabs into them and seeing what happens. So we are really going to really going to put these things to their test for you guys and uh, try to do some data collection. So super excited. All right. Brian's back. Are you able to talk, Brian? We're doing like a, a lift re a little. Oh, nope. maybe not. <laughs> it was it was a great wait what did you say sorry i couldn't hear you we're doing like a lift re well we wanted to just touch on lift and i'm like well i was there with brian I mean, it would be good to get you know his perspective on it too absolutely well i could talk i'm just i can't i have to hold my phone up to my ear that's okay you're allowed to do that yeah so uh, honestly the highlights for lift were connecting with uh people like you jameson and uh jamie and you know meeting everybody in person that was probably like the biggest thing it would, so, uh, yeah. So what happened was, um, Brian and Jameson had actually never physically met. I've actually never physically met Jameson either. We just spent all our time, uh, connecting on, online. So these guys got to actually meet and sesh and, uh, that's, that's dope. And we have a little kind of group of friends that ended up connecting to that we established over clubhouse and Chaz is, is another one of those guys. Um, so now we're starting to put the pieces together and bring everyone together. So Lyft was a big part of that. 
Yeah. It wasn't that. It wasn't that well attended event from a consumer, from a, a, a licensed producer standpoint, but it was really nice for us, all JV industry guys, just to come and, and see everybody and, and, you know, give everybody hugs and see how they were really doing. And, and so it was really cool to meet a lot of people and, you know, I've met their strong connections over the, uh, over the, uh, Right. You know, the whole pandemic. So yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a cool event. I thought that bull rider party that was put on, um, Hima X Jacks. Uh, yeah. Ryan Pinsky. Shout out Ryan. Ryan. Pinsky, shout out Ryan. Shout Absolutely. Out that was the absolute best time of the, was, the whole thing. That was the like only you could party have... where I'm like, oh, this is a weed man through this party. Like not, yes. a, not a, it, it was, yeah. it was very cool. So, um. That was a lot, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, no, I, th I think like, you know, it was a success. People were like, I've been doing things, so I wasn't as like shocked by the people. Uh, sure. Like, so I think a lot of people were a little bit blown away by the number of people there. And yeah, and yeah to, it it was just good to get everybody back out. And, and I think we need more of that and, you know, grow ups coming up and, you know, everybody's going to Niagara and they'll do it again. And that looks like it might be a bit better attended by the licensed producers in Canada. Um, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see how everything, how everything goes for sure. I'm very excited to head down to Cali and, uh, and check out like Emerald cup and all flowers and, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, as I said, it was, uh, it was nice to session person, but, uh, yeah, it was, you did the session need, virtually as well. hundred percent. hundred percent. I need to yeah. come down to non conference town and we can, you know, really, really take a few hours. Puff down. Yeah, properly. absolutely. Hold on. It's going to go aside. I'll be right back. Well, yeah, I mean, all in all, I think that was an awesome episode. I mean, I'm oh, super stoked, super stoked to chat with Chaz and, and yeah, I mean, Lyft was, Lyft was last week was a lot of fun. I mean, I would like to see 10 times as many people, but you know, yeah, it, uh, you know, baby steps, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the first big show back from the pandemic too. So I think yeah. people are just, uh. Yeah, I'm gonna hop off for just a sec to say uh no worries, we're locking it down, Brian. Yep, six yeah, times we're gonna, in and out. Going no, it's all good. No worries, all right, good. all right, peace. Lock, peace, brother. Yeah. Okay, so awesome. yeah. Um dope, great show. I think awesome. uh I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh thanks for tuning in, everybody, for another episode of Fire is Fire with Yo, uh with Chad. Next week, next week we have Saragam from the Hashish. Yes, so the hashishins coming the in. Tables on the master interview. That's going to be. I'm super excited. You guys, uh, I'd have some of. Uh, if you guys want to close out and show, I could show you the slimer that I actually got from chat. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I gotta pull. I'm in the middle of like a half water. <laughs> Here we go. We should be able to pull it over here. Give me two seconds. That was an awesome show. I love talking with Chad. He's like, always has like a billion things to talk about. No, Chaz is the man. He's yeah. 
like super intelligent. He's experienced everything. You know what I mean? He knows a lot of people. Uh, that guy is just a fucking G. Super stoked to uh, call him a friend and, and I've connected with him uh, over the pandemic. It's crazy how much, you know, the pandemic brought it, a lot of people together as much as it divided us all. Here we go. Let's see what they all look and one double. But we'll switch around. This this is actually really ability to grow in my garden. So uh, pretty cool. This that nice. So what's what's the genetic on uh, Slimer? Oh, sorry, it's it's a Chernobyl. Okay, but it's a map calculator cross. Oh, sweet. Just like, just absolutely cross. I've got a package put together for you with some emerald beans, London. So I'm excited to, to get those to you next week. Oh, I'm going to put them in the meal on Monday. Hopefully you'll get them after Christmas. You know. 